Hey, how's it going? This is Evan Jackson, video production director of New Life Church. Thank you so much for joining us for our podcast today. It's our goal to help you grow in your faith and discover all that God has for you. I hope you're encouraged, challenged, and inspired today. Enjoy the message. God is in this place. He loves you. He cares about you. He's not the cosmic watchmaker that spun it all into existence and is leaving it to to wind down. We live in a sinful world and bad things happen. But God has never left us. He's right there cheering you on. He knows what's going on in your kids' lives. He knows what's going on in your life. If it's good, he's rejoicing with you. If it's tough, he's compassionate towards that difficulty and he's there to to help. Never present help in time of need. When we realize these things, when we when we when we take them off the page as being theoretical or being a, a religious text and we actually apply them to our lives, the the result, if you really do it, the result is is peace. It's rest. Our problem as human beings is that we have a hard time in that in believing. So I like the the passage in the New Testament where the man comes to Jesus and asks him for a miracle. And Jesus says, do you believe? And he says, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. So my goal today, my hope today, is that this message will help your unbelief. Will move the needle to help you to understand that in Christ who was the word made flesh, who dwelt among us, was at the beginning with God and was God in Christ. You can face this life with peace, with peace and rest. Today's title is sacred. Just one word, sacred. And the big idea is this, ready? We must never take our relationship with the God of the universe for granted or treat him as common. When we do that, we've just relegated him to all the other things that we put our hopes in. But he, 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 he's not common. He's something very different than that. The word sacred means connected with God or dedicated to a religious purpose. Or, and so deserving, great respect and reverence. Read that again. The word sacred means connected with God or dedicated to a religious purpose. And so deserving of great respect and reverence. I'm just going to pick on the church for a little bit for a second, okay? Then we're going to go out of that. We'll be positive today. One of the great things about past generations of the church, iterations, epochs of the church, is their understanding of reverence 
their understanding of respect for God. Let me give you, for instance, um, when you walk into a cathedral, what do you feel? What do you feel? You feel like the place is what? Sacred to a purpose, and it draws your eyes heavenward. Okay, now, that was a great idea. Cathedrals were a great idea. Again, anything that man does when they have a great idea, often they take that idea and they substitute the idea of what they were doing and make it into an idol itself. And that's kind of what we got over the years. So there's been a, you know, a, an overcorrection maybe, under, I don't know, a correction to that idea that God is not a building. You know, the church is not a building. It's a people. Therefore, we meet in a mall, <laughs> right? It's a people. But here's the, here's the catch. We have to substitute the idea of the sacredness of that church to what the real church is. If we are not going to meet in a cathedral and the church is not sacred in a geographical or architectural way, we have to make sure that we keep the church sacred. We should have the same awe and respect for each other that we'd ever have for a building, right? The church should be sacred. I'm not saying the church shouldn't be sacred. The church is absolutely sacred, but we've we got to make sure that we just don't, like, let it go. But, oh, we don't, the church isn't sacred anymore. We don't meet in cathedrals. We meet in the mall, so it's not sacred. It is sacred, but it's you and it's me. We've lost a lot of our awe, our idea of the sacred. And I think we need to get a little bit of that back. I love this morning. Can, can we just give the worship team a hand? I mean, man. Scott and his team, they're doing a phenomenal, man, they are just, ah, I appreciate them so much. That's the sacred, that's the awe, oh, that's worshiping God, Holy Spirit is in this place, getting there, that's good. All right, I got, I got to get to my notes here. Sacred. Today we're going to be dealing with um, two more commandments, and you can find them in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5, and we're going to start with verse 11. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 11. And these particular commandments may seem disconnected, and I'm going to prove that they're not. I'm going to give you, well, I'm not going to prove it. I'm going to make a case. You can decide if you think they are or not. Verse 11 of chapter 5 says this. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Be careful to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. You are not to labor, uh, you are to labor for six days and do all your work. But in the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Do not do any work, you, your son, or daughter, your male or female slave, your ox or donkey, any of your livestock, or the resident alien who lives within your city gates. 
so that your male and female slaves may rest as you do. Now, that's a weird, let's go stop there. That's a weird passage. But I think by the end of the day, you're going to find it to be very comforting. Let's deal with the first one first. Commandment number three. Commandment number three is simply this. Don't misuse God's name. Don't misuse God's name. Kevin DeYoung, uh, professor at the University of Lancaster, had a great article on the third commandment entitled, What Does It Really Mean to Take the Lord's Name in Vain? And he talks about how everywhere in Scripture the name of the Lord is exalted in the highest possible terms. Names are precious. Names are precious. That's why we don't like our name ridiculed or twisted or made fun of. Uh, any parents here went through the baby name book? Anybody did that? Yeah, I, I did that. Uh, and Lisa and I, we would take a long drive. If we were going on vacation or something like that, we would take a long drive. We'd take the baby name book and we'd, we'd look for names for our kids. And then it had to go through the, the rubric of how easy is it to make fun of this name? Because kids are cruel. I'll tell you that. Kids can be cruel. All right? Like, we, even, we were a little on the fence for Lincoln. Because I'm not going to say it because you guys are going to make fun of it. But... <laughs> If it rhymes, kids will find a way to rhyme. And, you know, names are important. They, they, they hold a, a level of identity. In fact, Lincoln was born. He had three other names that we were thinking about. Um, and we just couldn't come up with a name. We didn't, couldn't decide on it. I said, you know, let's wait till we see him. He popped out. It's just that simple. <laughs> He's like, yeah, right. Uh, and we're like, He's a Lincoln. No doubt in my mind, he's a Lincoln. So, uh, but names are important. They're important. And in ancient times, they were even, they, they had a lot more importance than, than even what we give them. So, um, but he says, Scripture, God in Scripture is, is, is given the name that is above all other names, exalted at the highest possible terms. Let's look at a few. Psalm 8 1 says this O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm 29.2 says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. The first uh, petition of the Lord's prayer taught by Jesus is in Matthew 6, 9, says this, therefore, therefore you should pray like this. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy, or hallowed be your name, if you come from the... Catholic tradition, you know that very quickly, very easy. That old King James, hallowed be your name. But that means this. It means your name be honored and holy. What does holy mean? Separate or sacred. The apostles proclaim that in Acts 4, says, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's a lot of power in a name. Romans 10 Paul assured the Romans that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's a lot of power in that name. And the culminating events of all creation is when, in Philippians 2, 
At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. These are big statements about the name of God. The Bible does not want us to forget the holy importance of his divine name. Why? Why? There are only ten commandments in the, in the, in the top ten, right? Only ten words summarize everything that God wants from us by, uh, for obedience, right? How did watch your mouth get on the list? What is the big deal with God's name? So I want to transport you back. Think about Exodus chapter 3, where God speaks to Moses from the burning bush. Here we go. Exodus 3.13 says, Moses asked God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I say to them? And God replied, with those famous words, I am who I am. I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent you, has sent me to you. We're going to get into that I am thing because it's a little bit weird. Okay? God names himself as sovereign, self-existent one. In fact, the covenant name Yahweh, it's Y-H-W-H, is probably connected to the Hebrew word verb to be. God is that he is. That is his name. God is that he is. That is his name. Now, the name Yahweh is Y-H, in, in English, would be translated straight to English, Y-H-W-H, pronounced yod ha vah yod ha vah Yahweh, that's how we get it. Okay? But... It it appears about 7,000 times in the Old Testament. That's a lot of times. But if you look at those letters in the the Hebrew, they're they're like filler letters. They're like vowels. It's a whole name of vowels. It'd be like saying, A-I-O. Hey, it's not Yahweh. We, Yahweh. We, we pronounce it with the, like the southern Yahweh. Uh-huh. It's really like Yahweh, Yahweh. It's like the, the Hebrew um, rabbis say it's like a whisper. Yahweh. It's the breath. His name is his breath. His breath is his essence. The Holy Spirit is his being. This isn't a cool, this is a very cool concept. So when, when I, I can only imagine that when Moses got this from the bush, he's like, that doesn't really help. Who should I say is sending me? <sighs> Thank you for that. That clears things up. I mean, really honestly, it's this, it's this breath of God. It's his essence. It's who he is. You can't put a label on this. I am. I just am. Deal with it. You, you can't. Put me in a box. Deal with it. You're going to see my attributes acted out in Egypt, but you can't label me. 
That's how big God is. That's who he is. Observant Jews and those who follow Tomitic Jewish tradition do not pronounce this name. They will not even say it. They won't read it aloud. They won't even write it in their Bibles. Okay? Um, instead, they use forms such as Yahweh. Yahweh. They don't, they don't use that. You're going to see L-O-R-D in your Bibles today for that word, Lord. That is the appropriate word to use. It's, it's what we use. It's not actually the name Yahweh, but it's the substitute so that we don't misuse his actual name. It's very interesting. That's how important the Jewish people take this name. In their Bibles, you'll just see dash, dash, dash. They won't even put it in. They don't want to, they, they say, I don't want to inscribe his name and make a mistake on it. Early monks of the Christian faith, they would transcribe portions of the Bible. And if they made a mistake, I mean, they got tired. And they made a little mistake. Apparently, they didn't have erasers or a backspace button. Because that whole, no matter if they were in the last chapter, that whole manuscript got torn up and burned. And they had to start again. I don't think I would have been a good scribe. I'm prone to using that backspace button way too much. Plus, I can't spell. So, but think about that. Think about how holy they took the word of God, how holy they took God's name. Can you see that? Maybe we've lost a little bit of that in our culture today. Can you see that? That's all I'm trying to say. His name is synonymous with essence. The name of God is inseparable, inseparable from the being of God. I am that I am. So, knowing that, what is actually forbidden by the third commandment? What is he asking us to do? What is he saying? You can't, don't do this. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Even in, that, even in the commandment itself, the word Lord is substituted. You notice that? Don't take the name of the Lord. Even in the commandment, they have to change the actual name so that they don't misuse it. Isn't that interesting? So, I'm going to just let you in on a secret. It involves more than just not using his name as a curse word. That's kind of what we've, 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 you know, well, just don't use his name in a curse word. Is it, is it even talking about? Yes. I would, I would say yes. It's probably not good to invoke God's name in a, 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 a curse. That's probably a good idea. All right? But it's more than that. It's absolutely more than that. The Old Testament identifies several ways in which the third commandment can be violated. The first and most obvious is the blasphemy or curse to curse the name of God. Now, this is not using God's name as a curse for something else, but to actually turn and look into the face of God and curse him. New Testament talks about that quite a bit, okay, as being something that's very, very serious. That's found in Leviticus 24, 16, this concept of, of cursing God's name. Secondly, another, another one is this. It forbids empty or false oaths. Okay, 
Leviticus 19, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. So it's basically don't, don't make a promise like, I swear to God. You, know, you ever say that? Oh, I swear to God. Don't do that. Don't do that. Like, Pastor, that's really legalistic. Yeah, I know, but it's right there. Just don't do it. Well, how about grace? I, I get the grace part. You're probably not going to go to hell if you do it. That's not what I'm saying. But we need to understand that God is holy. And we need to respect him. Don't, don't, don't make false oaths. Don't, don't make oaths. And then Jesus even takes it farther in the New Testament. He goes, don't, don't even make oaths on anything. Don't make oaths on God. Don't make oaths on the, the, the temple. You didn't build it. You didn't have anything to do with it. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. How can that be possible? How is it possible for my yes to be enough? Well, your yes is built on a hundred different times where you were truthful. So that the person you're saying yes to goes, I know for a fact that his word is his bond. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't need to swear on things. Just let it go. That's what Jesus said. Here's another one. And I think this is very important, especially for our day and age. And it definitely was in the uh, Israelite period of time where there was, this was going on quite a bit. Um, Yahweh's name, uh, so thirdly, prohibits false visions and false claims to speak on God's behalf. For such prophets prophesy lies in my name, Jeremiah 23. If you say, thus saith the Lord, it better be thus saith the Lord. If you claim to speak for God, you best be right. Okay, he's like, this is what happened to the Israelites in their ups and downs. They had false prophets who would come and say, God said this, and it was wrong. And they just followed him, hook, line, and sinker most of the time. And never tested the spirit on that. And that's what the New Testament tells us to do. It says, test the spirits. If somebody says, thus saith the Lord, Test that out. Test it through this. Test it through their, have they been a person whose yes has been yes and no has been no consistently? Have they have a good, good character? Test it. Make sure it's not just somebody, um, either delusionally or maliciously, using God's name to, verif- to, to, to build themselves up. So we have to understand that the name of God is not to be used casually. It's God's name. It has the power to save people from eternal damnation. This is a powerful thing, not to be thrown around in jest, curse, uh, idle chatter, promises that you don't, you know, things like this. It's not to be used that way. It's holy. It's sacred. It's sacred. We're going to kind of dial back on this a little later as to why it's so important. God's name is so important when it comes to the next thing. Commandment number four. Commandment number four is this. Keep the Sabbath day. Keep the Sabbath day. Okay, pastor, now you're really getting it. Like, Really? 
Is that a thing? Those, those blue laws have been gone for quite a while now. Uh, is that still important? Yes. <laughs> have a great week. We'll see you next week. No. It's very important. There's a great story from Mrs. Letty Cowman's book, Springs in the Valley. And I'm going to read it to you. It says this. In the deep jungles of Africa, a traveler was making a long trek. Local natives had been engaged from a tribe to carry the loads. The first day, they marched rapidly and went far. The traveler had high hopes of a speedy journey. But the second day, the second morning, these jungle tribesmen refused to move. Ah. For some strange reason, they just sat and rested. On inquiring as to the reason for this strange behavior, the traveler was informed that they had gone too fast the first day and that they were now waiting for their souls to catch up with their bodies. Mrs. Cowman concluded, the whirling, this whirling, rushing life which so many of us live does for us what this fast march did for those poor jungle tribesmen. The difference, they knew what they needed to restore their life's balance. Too often, we do not. I think that's a powerful little parable. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to just notch it up a little bit. That was written around 100 years ago. How much more has our pace increased? I feel like if they're losing their souls in that pace, ours is like halfway across the earth trying to get, catch up. I mean, think about it. Think how fast things move now. I would actually say that maybe some of our biggest problems in our world are due to the fact that we do not have good rhythms of life. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever feel tempted to do something that you wouldn't normally do when you're tired? When I'm tired, I don't want to do anything good. I don't even want to sleep. I know I should go to sleep, but I just want to I just want to chill, watch TV, and the worst part of it, I just want to eat. My resolve towards my diet goes way down when I'm tired, when I'm fatigued, when I'm burnt out, right? Nothing good happens when you're blitzed. I mean, just not, nothing happens good. You just do bad things. There's no, there's no time for contemplation. There's no time for philosophizing. There's no time for moral. It's just, I'm just tired. Nothing good happens from a, a fatigued culture. So let's, what, are the, what, are the, what are the rhythms that God has set up? Remember, he's the designer. Genesis 2, 1 says this. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested 
Now, that word could mean, for rest, it could mean ceased or abstained. On the seventh day, from all his work that he had done, God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, sacred. For on it, he rested from all the work of creation. Some commentators understand this to be an act of passing the baton to humans. God did all he was going to do, and then he says, he rests, and he passes the baton to the humans. What does he tell them to do? Work, procreate, and subdue. I made this for you. I created this for you. Now you go create something with it. But I want to set a rhythm up for you. I want you to work really, really hard. I want you to do good things. Be creative. Be artistic. Work hard for those six days. But seventh day, you got to take a break. In the act of making the seventh day sacred and work free, he is making a statement that speaks. He's making statements that speak to what it looks like to be image bearers. God made us in his own image, right? If God sees value in rest, in not working, we also should, as image bearers of God, see value in rest. He's making a statement about healthy rhythms of life. He's also making a statement about proper priority structures. We've lost a lot of that. Proper priority structures for us is, I need to do X, Y, and Z in order to get this thing, this priority in my life. Our priorities are things that we can buy and sell. He's saying, no, priorities are life, enjoyment, relaxing, being connected. We'll get to that a little bit later. He's also making a statement as to basic human value. Basic human value. And I'm going to explain this now. This concept in the Exodus would have been huge for people emerging from a, simp- uh, a system of slavery where their value has, been in who they, not has, has not been in who they are as people, but what they are able to produce for their master. That's their value. And in, a, in this kind of a slave culture that they're coming out of, that they're now having to say, I'm going to, we're going to build our own nation from a group of slaves. This is an essential understanding. Essential understanding of value of human. What, wherein lies your value? We talked a little bit about self-esteem. Where do you get that from? Where does it come from? Does it come from who you are, who God made you to be, or does it, become, does it come from some kind of external mechanism? I couldn't find external. I couldn't find external. <laughs> so annoying. Okay. Um, As image bearers of God, our value is not based on what we can produce, but on who we are as people. God gave us an example 
to not just rest, but to willfully abstain, not just rest, listen to this, but to willfully abstain from working. We rest when we're tired. Or maybe we don't. But we typically, in our culture, we rest when we're exhausted. But what he is saying to the, he's saying this, because God doesn't get tired. So at the end of the six days, I'm like, whoa, universe, what a, uh, what a job. He's saying this. This is important to who you are as a person. I want you to willingly abstain from work, whether you're tired or not. Set this apart. This is a sacred thing. Set it apart as holy. So we don't stop because we need it. We stop because nothing outside of our relationship with God should define us. Nothing outside of our relationship with God should define us. Not even something as important as subduing the earth. Okay? We are not masters. We are not slaves. We are not machines. We are image bearers created for connection. We are image bearers created for connection. The gift of Sabbath allows us to prioritize. The gift of Sabbath allows us to prioritize what? First, connection with God. Connection with God. The gift of Sabbath allows us to prioritize relationship with our family. There is a ton of research out there to show that because of the lack of investment that families give to one another is one of the major reasons why families are breaking up at a higher rate than ever before. Why is this? Not because they want their families to break up, not, but because they are finding their value and their um, their worth in what they're producing as opposed to the connection that they should be getting in the person of God in the, in the relationships with their family. Connection. Another thing that the Sabbath, the gift of the Sabbath allows us to prioritize is this. Get this, you ready? Fun. Fun. Relaxation. Leisure. I find this very interesting. What does it say in the, in the text? It says this. Be careful to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. You are to labor six days and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Do not do any work. You or your son. Or your daughter. Okay, that's one thing. You know who had leisure back in the day? Rich people. Kings. Everybody else just worked. The wealthy had leisure time. What is he saying to this? He says, stop. Make sure you don't work 
Make sure your kids don't work on that day. There needs to be a time for leisure. What else does it say? Don't do any work. You or your sons and daughters, your male or female slave, even the slaves in their homes were kings and queens on the Sabbath. They had leisure time like anybody else. They could do whatever they wanted to do. That's significant. That's significant. Don't let your work define you. And the last thing that the gift of the Sabbath allows us to prioritize is a chance to let our souls catch up with our fast-paced life. Now, I take Mondays as my Sabbath. I take Mondays. Um, this, that we, we're closed. The church is closed here on Mondays. The whole staff is off on Mondays. Um, and I'll tell you what, man, it's not easy to, to carve that time out because guess what? We are very good at filling that time. So we, Lisa and I, have talked long and hard about this, and we've tried to keep Mondays as sacred. It doesn't always work, but we try. Because the Sabbath, I don't know, maybe Sunday is the perfect day for you. You come, you connect with church, you connect with God, you connect with your church family, you connect with your family. I would encourage you, if you can, remember, in the old times, the Sabbath started on Friday night, the sundown on Friday night, until sundown on Saturday night. That means sleep is sacred. Rest is sacred. You're not lazy on the Sabbath. You're at rest on the Sabbath. We are so quick to like, well, just make sure that you, you know, not every day is your Sabbath. Then that's lazy. <laughs> but on the Sabbath, you're not lazy. You're at rest. You are doing exactly what God designed you to do on, on your Sabbath. It's just be lazy. Have some fun. Connect with your family. Connect with God. Regrow. Let your soul catch up with the pace of your life. That's your job on your Sabbath. Try not to fill it with other stuff. Do things that feed your soul. It is holy. It is sacred. It's a sacred practice given to us by the holy God. Now, here's the thing. I want you to, I want to close this message out. And I, I, I asked for music to be played because I want this to just be restful for you. I'm going to do something. I'm going to connect for you in a second the, name, the holy names of God to your Sabbath. If God is not who he said he is, then it's hard for us to rest. Because we all got stuff, don't we? Nobody's got stuff for me? We all have stresses. We all have conflicts. We all have stuff. So to, 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 to let our minds rest means that there's got to be someone else out there taking care of it. So what I'm saying is that the name of God, who God is, directly affects how we can rest. If we are anxious on our day of rest, that's not what God wants for you. 
So here's the thing. I want you to take a deep breath again. We got about five minutes to do this. I want you to rest. I'm going to read for you some of the names that the Bible records of God. Now, interestingly enough, because God is essence, is what the writers of the Bible have done is they've taken his characteristics and they say, the God of this, the God of that, the God who is, the God of this. And they've, 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 they've done a good job of covering all the different attributes of God by these different names. So I want to read some to you. So let's do, let's do this thing. We're cleansing breath. Yahweh, the Lord, Jehovah. El Shaddai, Lord God Almighty. El Elyon, the Most High God. Adonai, Lord the master. Jehovah, or in the Hebrew, it's Jehovah Nisi. Jehovah Nisi. The Lord, my banner. Jehovah Rama, The Lord, my shepherd. Yehovah Rafi, the Lord that heals. Rest in that concept for a second. The Lord that heals. Yehovah Shamal, the Lord is there. Wow, think about that one for a second. Don't pass by that quickly. The Lord that is there. What are you worried about today? What future are you concerned about? God's already there. Don't worry about it. He's already got this thing. He's already there. You're waiting to get there. He's already there. This was a tough one to say. Yehovah Taskino, Taskino, the Lord, our righteousness. It's not your righteousness, it's His. Yehovah Machidesh, the Lord who sanctifies you. The Lord who sanctifies you. El Olam, the everlasting God. El Ochim, the God. Yehovah Yaira, the Lord will provide. Can you rest in that for just a moment? The Lord 
will provide. Yehovah Shalom. The Lord, my peace. Oh, there's that, that one plays today, doesn't it? The Lord is my peace. You can rest in peace because he is the Lord of peace. That's good stuff right there. Hallelujah. And lastly, Yehovah Sabbat, the Lord of hosts. Why is that so significant? Whatever battle you're in right now, whatever enemy you're facing right now, the hosts of the army of the God of the universe is greater. And he's on your side. I love that, that passage in the Old Testament when um, the prophet was being taken by a foreign invader and his servants got all nervous. And he said, I'm not worried about it. And he says, the Lord opened his eyes to see what the prophet saw. And on every, all surrounding them on the hills were the chariots of God's army, Angel, angelic hosts. And what happened next? The invading armies were struck and blind. And the prophet led them by the hand to the fortress where they were all captured. I'm just telling you, he is the Lord of hosts. So in the name of Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is peace. I want to pray this prayer over you. God, I pray right now, Lord God, maker of the universe, I pray right now for a sense of peace to wash over my brothers and sisters today. God, I pray right now that, you would that they would understand that you are for them, that they can prioritize rest, rejuvenation, and fun in their life because that's how they were designed. Lord, help us not to wait till we're so burnt out and exhausted to finally rest. Help us to make it a priority in our lives and as in our families to do fun things, to connect with one another and to connect with you. And we can really unplug. We can really rest because you are the one who's in charge and you can take care of the other stuff. If we're relying on ourselves to make everything right, before we can rest, we will never rest. But if we rely on you, the God who provides, the God who sustains, the God of our peace, then on those days when we unplug, we can really rest. So God, I thank you for healthy rhythms of life that you have set up. You made us. You know how we work. We know how we function best. You know how we function best. So God, help us to, in this busy culture that really shuns this concept of rest, start to gradually work into our schedules and our lives. 
the places, the sacred times of unplugging. And the only reason we can do this is because of who you are. So Lord, we thank you for your name that is connected to your essence. And we, we, we don't want to use it commonly or, or, or falsely. We want to hold it high and make it sacred in our lives. And we thank you for the rest of our Sabbath, the gift of Sabbath, so that we can be the people that you've made us to be. Be with my brothers and sisters. Grant them peace on this Sabbath today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. I'm so glad you were here today. Take these words, take God's words heart and let it, let it rejuvenate your life. I hope you enjoyed our podcast today. To find out more about New Life Church or to plan a visit, go to our website at discovernewlife.org.